Would you take an airplane during a global pandemic? In today's Taiwan Insider, we're looking at air travel in the time of COVID-19. I'm Natalie So, and I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's start off with a look at the stories on our radar. Taiwan's annual Hanguang military exercises kicked off on Monday and will finish up Friday. So far, drills have simulated a missile attack, an air raid, a Chinese invasion, and a hostage crisis. With COVID-19 under control, it's business as usual in the Penghu Islands. This archipelago off Taiwan's west coast is a popular tourist destination, and the islands are hosting both an international sailing competition and a marathon. Seafood lovers are encouraged to sign up. This is probably the only marathon in the world where refueling stations for runners are equipped with squid balls and, for the first time this year, lobster. With temperatures soaring across Taiwan, doctors are urging men to carry sun umbrellas. That's as hospitals report that three-quarters of the heat stroke cases since May have been men. Sun umbrellas are often seen as something for women, but doctors say they are important for everyone, cutting down on exposure to heat and UV radiation and reducing the chances of heat-related illness. And under the radar this week, it's the case of the missing clam. Kanding National Park reports that a giant clam has been stolen from a protected coral reef. This wasn't just any clam, it was a local celebrity that scuba diving tourists love to visit. The case remains open, but given the penalties in place for other crimes, like touching local sea turtles, whoever did it is sure to face a hefty punishment. And now for our words of the week, Andrew, ready to guess? Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> Parking spot. Progress. Protest? No. Protestant? Protect. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Lots of words in your mouth there. <laughs> I know, and all of them Lots wrong. of guesses. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about how to protect yourself from the coronavirus when you travel um, on airplanes. We'll be talking about that in today's show. Excellent. You ready for my word? Yep. All right. Andrew. <laughs> Airplane. Air travel. Airborne. Right. Airborne. Yay. I thought it was fun. It's a reference not only to uh, people in the air, planes in the air. It's also a reference to oh. that virus, oh, that's too. That's right. Those particles. That's right. So uh, we want to keep the people safe from airborne illnesses. Mm -hmm. And we want to keep them safe when they are airborne. Great. Let's put these on the shelf. So as you know, in today's show, we're talking about the future of air travel. And a question we've been getting a lot lately is, is it okay to fly to Taiwan? And that's the subject of today's Taiwan Explained. In today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to tell you who can and cannot come to Taiwan at this time. All right. It's a very complex question, isn't it? It is. And it's changing all the time as well. Absolutely. Maybe it's easiest to start off with who can come to Taiwan for sure. All right. So every Taiwan citizen and person with an ARC, an alien resident certificate, can enter Taiwan. So citizens and legal residents can come at any time. So who is not allowed to come to Taiwan? Well, foreigners who want to just come for tourism or social visits. But foreigners can apply to come for other reasons, such as business, school, contractual obligations, family emergencies, and more. But there's a caveat. All visitors must test negative for COVID-19 within three days before arrival. 
Now, special rules apply to those from Hong Kong, Macau, and mainland China, and we'll have the links to those below. Also, one more thing to remember: everyone is subject to home quarantine after they arrive. All right. So now, the people that I know who have done home quarantine have done it for 14 days, but I hear that they're shortening it for some people, right? So, if you're a business traveler and you come from a low to mid risk country and you're staying for less than three months, you can apply. But there are some conditions, such as you have to have a negative COVID-19 test、um, three days before you arrive. Also, you have to pay for your own test. Like you can apply for five day or seven day. So you have to play. Pay for the test on the fifth day to make sure that you're okay. So they're they they should be、uh, virus free. Okay. Even though they're in a short quarantine. All right. Well, that's a lot to process. So I know that、uh, people are probably interested in learning more. We're definitely going to have some links to that information for you in the show notes below. What would it take to get you on an airplane during a pandemic, and what would you do to protect yourself on board? Recently, I spoke with Steph Chan, who is a physical therapist in New York City. Now, in May, she made the very difficult decision to board a five and a half hour long flight to San Francisco to see her parents. I began by asking her to describe the trip. So I arrived at JFK, and it was empty. I mean, there was no traffic. I got out on the sidewalk, and there were no other passengers there. It was completely deserted, and I entered into the terminal gates, and it was just the entire area was empty. I saw maybe two other passengers roaming around. It was eerie. It was very eerie just to see it that deserted. And this was on a Friday afternoon at like five. Wow, which is for JFK is just nuts. I mean, that's that's usually one of the busiest times of the week. What did you do to keep yourself safe while you were on board?、Um, I wore a gas mask. <laughs> And that was it. I actually didn't bother wiping down any of the surfaces. You know, if you really dig deep into the research, it's just not a real concern. It's not a big source of transmission. Really, the primary transmission is aerosols and inhaling droplets.、Um, so, with the gas mask, it is apparently ninety-nine point nine seven percent effective against、uh, you know any particles and. The N95 is 95% more effective against it. So, feeling like I was in this gas mask, which was significantly more effective than N95, I kind of felt like, okay, as long as I just wear this and don't take it off, I should be fine. So, once you arrived in San Francisco and you were with your parents,、um, did you isolate or do anything to keep your parents safe? I did.、Uh, that was sort of part of the plan that I had discussed with my parents in pretty. You know, pretty deep detail beforehand, and I said, okay, if I go, these are going to be the rules. When I arrive,、um, I had like a whole protocol where I would change my clothes the minute I got to the airport.、Um, my dad was going to pick me up in the car. He was going to sit in the front seat. I was going to sit in the back. We'd keep the windows down. We'd both wear N95s and、uh, drive home from the airport that way. And then once I got home, if I wanted to go out in the backyard, I would just go down the hall and go out the garage door and then out into the backyard. So I did that for twelve days hard, and then by like the thirteenth day, I got a little sloppy. <laughs> I was like hanging out more, I was sneaking into the kitchen. I was like, "Oh, two days more to go." By then, I think I'm like at ninety-eight percent clearance in terms of safety. All in all, like, how would you rate this whole travel experience and kind of like your your thoughts about the future of flying during this global pandemic? I don't actually think airplanes are that terrible to be in. 
they have these high grade, high power HEPA filters running. So I think the important thing is protect yourself on the plane, wear, wear PPE. And when you get to your destination, depending on where you're coming from, if you're coming from a hot zone, I mean, if you're coming from a hot zone, ideally you wouldn't fly anywhere, you would just stay put. But if you have to fly, or you just really feel the need to fly, then I do think that when you arrive at your destination, you know, you need to try to self-quarantine for a while, at least 10 to 12 days, and you need to get a, a test. You, In theory, I think maybe you could get a test three to five days after arriving um, and see how that goes. But again, I think that to really be safe, we need to make sure that tests are more reliable than what they currently are. Well, thank you so much for talking with us again. We've been speaking with uh, Steph Chan, who is currently in New York City. Stay safe. Thanks. You know, I was really impressed how she self-isolated herself from her parents to keep them safe. Mm. And then they can enjoy such a great time together. Absolutely. You know, and it's really important, too, because her parents are both in their 80s. Um, so actually, I was really interested to see what she did, because I think about, you know, my parents are a little bit younger, but I would still want to self-isolate if I were to need to visit them as well. So how was her trip back? She said her trip back was a little bit more crowded. There was about 30% more people on that flight. Uh, and one thing to keep in mind is they're no longer blocking out the middle seats. So the flights will be a little bit more crowded uh, going forward. I asked her, would she do it again, even if it's more crowded? And she said, yes, she would definitely do it again. But she's also bought herself an even better face mask. Are you serious? Yes. That looked pretty cool when she <laughs> <Good>. got <laughs> I want one myself. <laughs> well, she had a lot of great things to talk about during her uh, interview. And we have that full interview on Facebook and YouTube. Okay, we're going to play a new brain game today. It's called Top 10. And these guys don't even know what's going on yet, but I'm going to explain, all right? They're going to have 90 seconds to guess the 10 items on my list. And there's a buzzer. And if you think of one item, you can press the buzzer and you can say one of the items. And you guys are competing to see how many you can oh. guess within 90 seconds, okay? We had no idea what this was going to be about. Yeah, so they don't know the topic, and they now they know how to play. Okay. Okay, so hands, we'll the topic, do you guys want to know the topic? Yeah. And can we, as soon as you say the topic, we can buzz in? I'm going to say go, and then our okay. timer okay. was going to start, okay? The topic is the top 10 safe air travel tips. Okay, go. Wear a mask. Good. Uh, wipe down your seat. Good. <laughs> is that all you guys can do? Don't go to the bathroom. Good, stay in your seat. Stay That's one seat. of them. Don't eat anything. <laughs> don't eat anything. Okay. Don't drink anything. Okay, well, mine was don't bring your own, I mean, bring your own food. Okay. But um, we'll, we'll take that. You got that one. All right. More, 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 more. You guys, uh, there's a lot more you can do. Wear goggles. Okay, I, that's a nice idea. I didn't put that on the list. Don't so. bring your pet. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't on my list. Wait a minute. Wait a Fly minute. in a charter jet. Wait, wait a minute. Are Fly these, in a these charter are, jet. These are all for COVID-19 specifically, Yes, right? yes, yes. <laughs> Find a seat where you're the only person on the plane you or can't like three, that. three rows behind, no three but you can Okay, your, okay. Stay two meters apart from people. I'll give you that. Only take domestic flights in Taiwan. <laughs> I better get a point for that. <laughs> that wasn't on my list. Refuse to interact with anybody. Um, well, that pretty much covered what you just said. No talking. I didn't put that on my list. <laughs> no carry-on luggage. 
I didn't put that on Lucy. That's a pretty good idea. Wait, That's I, a good I, idea. I That's first. a good idea. No, no breathing. <laughs> Hold your breath. <laughs> Use a straw when drinking. <laughs> I didn't put that on. Get a COVID-19 test before you board the plane. <laughs> Take everyone else off the plane. Demand to sit with the pilot. Be the pilot. <laughs> that was a good one. That's well, those are all great ideas. I think we're done. That we out of. You guys out. got five out of ten. All right. So who got the and five? And Leslie got three. Ooh. Yay! I think some of mine were and excellent ones that just weren't on the list. Okay. Do you want to hear the list? Let's hear the sure. list. Okay. So avoid crowded planes. <laughs> so we try to book um, at off-peak times. Mm. Also, disinfect what other people have touched. Okay, such as your own um, clothes, your passports, you know, your own stuff. Choose a window seat. Oh. Okay, so that'll that. keep you farther away from people. Wait, so you can open the window and get fresh <laughs> air in the place? <laughs> the next is about fresh air. Open the air vent. Okay. Did you know that actually the air changes every two and three minutes in oh. the plane? It, they take plane uh, air from the outside. So actually when you keep it on, it's better ventilation for you mm. and wash your hands or san- use sanitizer as often as you can. Do we not say that? That feels like some really obvious. That. I feel like that that's just a given. <laughs> it shouldn't so. be on the list. <laughs> <laughs> you guys had a lot of good ideas though. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to end our segment with a video about some people who really want to fly in Taiwan and what they did to do that. Life jackets are located under the seat in front of you. In the event of a sudden loss of cabin pressure, oxygen masks will drop down from above you. You're probably not going to need either, though, because this plane isn't going anywhere. The 90 people on board have tickets to nowhere, and as strange as it may sound, plenty more wanted to join them. Around 10,000 tried to sign up for this special airport experience event. The 90 chosen to take part on Thursday got to experience Taipei's Songshan Airport in all its glory, including, according to an airport official, an interactive art installation, a children's play area, and even a newly renovated restroom. Of course, it wouldn't be an airport experience without lines at the check-in counter and security. Somehow, though, when it's just pretend, these hassles of traveling don't seem to matter. Those taking part Thursday included Taiwanese travel lovers left stuck at home due to COVID-19, as well as a four-year-old excited to board a plane for the first time. Airport staff were excited, too. One ground crew member says the airport hasn't been this lively in a long time. Capping things off were a visit from an airline mascot and a ceremony, complete with water jets, welcoming a plane brought over from Taoyuan Airport to help with Songshan's growing domestic traffic. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about customer service. Now, customer service can make or break a business, especially now when online reviews play a pivotal role in driving business. It's common for businesses to bend over backwards to make sure they get positive online exposure. That is, unless you're Atai Mi Gaodian in central Taiwan's Taichung City. Atai is a food stand that's famous for their sticky rice with pork floss and minced pork, which is called Mi Gao. Earlier this week, people went through the Google reviews for Atai and noticed something rather unusual. Google reviews allows business owners to respond to the public's reviews. I famously once said, there's nothing in life that can't be solved with a bit of sarcasm. Whoever runs Atai Mi Gao Dian's social media must have read my non-existent autobiography because their response to customer complaints are snarky. For example, one customer said, the pork here is too fatty, too greasy. Atai responded with, I'll tell our pigs to start losing weight. Thank you for your valuable input. <laughs> pigs losing weight. 
Chinese lesson time, you guys. In Chinese, the term chiku means to eat something bitter. It's also a term used to describe hardship in life. In Taiwanese culture, people believe that a hard life toughens people up. So when a customer left a review saying the herbal soup here is more bitter than a bitter melon, Ah Tsai said, "Eating bitter foods helps you become a better person." Another one. This reviewer said, "The minced pork has too much fat in it. There's only one small piece of meat." Ah Tsai says, "Our minced pork is fatty. We'll admit that." Our recipe, however, only calls for one piece of meat. One, as in the number of stars you've given us. Wu Baochun is a popular Taiwanese bakery chain. Atai brought them in on this culinary discussion. This review says too greasy and too salty. I feel like they just add soy sauce to rice. Atai says. At the end of the day, Wu Baochun just adds heat to dough. I mean, he's got you there. Sandwiches are just meat and bread. Cake is just icing on pastry, and coffee is just beans and water. There's so many good comebacks and quips that I want to share them all. So let's do a lightning round review. It's nothing special. I asked the restaurant for no cilantro. They still put cilantro in my order. Atai, we haven't ordered any cilantro this year. That was celery. It's okay if you don't cook much, but. Read more books. Review: The minced pork and sticky rice is okay, but the environment isn't too nice. Makes me not want to come back. Atai, you can order takeout and bring it back to your palace, Your Majesty. Review: The restaurant is dirty. Atai, hey, it was windy that day. A lot of garbage flew in from other places. Review: The food is nothing complicated. Why are the lines so long? What a pain. Atai, when you leave our restaurant, take a left. Walk for about three minutes, and you'll see a convenience store on your left. They don't have any lines, but honestly, man, have some more resilience. The level of snark here is impressive, even for me. But I do foresee one problem: people might deliberately leave Azhaimi Gaotian bad reviews just so they can get a response from the genius behind their social media. Hey, I just realized I run the Taiwan Insider social media page. Do you guys want to leave me harsh criticism? Are you ready for the Taiwan News Quiz? This is our lightning round. We have 60 seconds on the clock, and in the hot seat, or should I say, the hot couch, we have <laughs> Leslie Dao and Natalie. So, you guys ready? No. Not but. really, but it's okay. <laughs> okay, go. All right, Taiwan is now allowing citizens to bring in children who have Chinese nationality. What's the age limit? Two and under. That's right. A fire broke out at a plant on Tuesday, injuring three and burning 2,000 square meters. What kind of a plant was it? Petrochemical. Good. Now, what did Taiwan's post office begin selling on Wednesday? Stimulus coupons. Stimulus coupons. That's right. In a military drill on Wednesday, a Taiwan Navy submarine fired something for the first time in 13 years. What was it? SUT heavy torpedo. Wow. Wow. More specific awesome. than I was even going for. <laughs> a live torpedo. What film won the top award at the Taipei Film Festival last weekend? Oh no. Oh, what's the thing? Attention. It is detention. Oh, it is detention. Cool. The horror film Detention, based on a video game, incidentally. Now Taiwan is urging citizens to reconsider travel to where? Oof. China? Vietnam. That's right, okay. China, Hong Kong, Macau. <laughs> due to the new national security law. Uh-huh. And, that's right. That's right. Uh, last week we told you about a new volcano warning system. Now scientists have discovered something new near Taipei. What was it? Another volcano? No, nope. there was some something underground. I forgot what. That's it was. right. Well, <laughs> something underground. What is it? Godzilla? I'm not giving you the point for that. They found a two-kilometer-deep volcanic vent. That's where the lava would erupt from if it erupts. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Taiwan Insider. Do leave a comment below. We'd love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I am Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao, and I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week.
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I am Natalie So. The whole world has its eyes on Hong Kong as a new national security law took effect this month. Today with me to speak about the Hong Kong national security law is a senior journalist, writer, and political science professor at Chinese University of Hong Kong, Frank Ching. He tells me how he feels about the law as an outspoken journalist and writer. I must say, I feel less secure in Hong Kong because now you have these basically secret police operating in Hong Kong who are not accountable. Uh, you know that the law set up this office of uh, to safeguard national security. Uh, this office is entirely run by people sent from the mainland, and they are not subject to Hong Kong law. So they can come knocking on your door, and if you don't open the door, they can break it down. You call up the police for help, and the police cannot help you because these people are not bound by Hong Kong law. So I think that that thought is very scary, that you have people who can do whatever they want to. And of course, other people say, well, if you haven't done anything wrong, you don't have to worry about it. I worry about the fact that there are people with such extraordinary powers that they can do whatever they want and there is simply no curb on them. And the security law very clearly says that the police cannot search them, cannot question them. That is simply beyond the reach of the Hong Kong police. So I, I think that, that that is concerning. And within Hong Kong itself, they, they've set up this committee uh, that is headed by the chief executive, the Committee for Safeguarding National Security. A uh, Chinese official is the advisor, the national security advisor. And I think that uh, the advisor probably exercises a great deal of influence uh, within that committee. And that committee only deals with internal Hong Kong affairs. Those people investigated by that committee, the majority of them will be dealt with in Hong Kong and not sent to the mainland. But the office set up by the mainland, the, the people they investigate, they will be sent to the mainland for trial. And there you have no uh, legal protection. So I think that's concerning. For you as a journalist, as a political scientist, um, are you going to change the way that you express yourself, so the things that you say, the oh, things that you write? Well, I've gotten messages from friends uh, to be careful and I'll be careful. I won't do anything that I, I think is wrong. But it's, I'll continue to do my job. I'll continue to write and say what I think. And I, I think that uh, what I think is reasonable. And if I publish what I think, I don't think it should get me in trouble if the system itself is a reasonable system. So are you, you're not afraid for your, your own life and, and career? Oh, well, I, I am uh, concerned, as I, as I said, the, the idea disturbs me greatly that somebody could knock down my front door, come in and, and seize me or do uh, all kinds of things. And I, I have no recourse. You know, as I said, I can't call up the police and say, oh, somebody's doing this thing to me because nobody can help me. These people are above the law. So I, I think that that is uh, very concerning. Uh, but then the, the authorities, the powers that be, keep saying, oh, don't worry, don't worry. Only a very small number of people 
will be targeted by this. Do you believe that um, they're just going to target a few people that are perhaps the most influential? Well, a very few people. Now, how do you define a very few people, a handful of people? Like uh, Hong Kong has seven and a half million people. So would uh, very few people be 1%? 1% of seven and a half million is uh, what? 70,000? That's a lot of people. Yeah. I, I don't think it would be as much as 1%, but even one-tenth of 1%, uh, I think it's a lot of people. So it's, it's not, it's not uh, really very reassuring to be told it's only a very small number of people. <laughs> right. And you're planning to stay in Hong Kong? I, I have no plan to leave. I still think Hong Kong is a great place to live in. I think it's getting to be less uh, of a great place to live in. But still, where would I go? I, I'm not sure that I'll fit in uh, anywhere else. I, I, I've lived in Hong Kong so long. Are a lot of people planning to leave because of this new law? I have not talked to anyone who is who has already made plans to leave. There are a lot of people who talk about possibly leaving. And uh, uh, immigration consultants say that uh, they're getting lots of calls from people for asking for information. And I, I read in one newspaper that uh, one uh, immigration consultant said that after the Tiananmen Square in 1989, uh, the rich people were thinking of leaving. And then last year during the protests, the working people were thinking of leaving. And this year, everyone's thinking of <laughs> Well, you know, last September during our interview, you had mentioned that, you know, China should really try to protect Hong Kong as an international financial hub. They should also care about their global image. But mm-hmm. them coming down so strong on uh, people's freedoms in Hong Kong could drive a lot of people away and perhaps foreign businesses as well. Do you think that China still cares about keeping Hong Kong's status as an international financial hub? Oh, I'm, I'm sure they do. And they want to keep Hong Kong as an international financial center. Uh, and uh, they don't have a replacement. Um, Shanghai, Shenzhen uh, simply cannot replace Hong Kong. But they, they might be taking the long view. You know, before 1997, a lot of people left Hong Kong. Maybe half a million people left. And then eventually, a lot of them came back. I would say maybe 40% of those who left came back. They may be thinking, well, uh, so some, some people may leave now, but then a lot of them will come back. And uh, the long-term consequences uh, can be managed. Uh, and I, I think that they do care about their global image. But when people say that all these countries are coming out to criticize them, well, what do they do? They arrange for... A lot of countries, like third world countries, 50-some countries on the UN Human Rights Council to come out issue a statement in support of what they're doing in Hong Kong. So I think uh, in all, more than 60 countries have come out in support of what China is doing in Hong Kong. So, so from their standpoint, more countries support them than criticize them. How do you think this is affecting their global standing? I think as far as, uh, so we tend to think of uh, countries, certain countries in the West as countries that really count. Those countries are all very critical of what's happening, of what China's doing in Hong Kong. So the ones that are supportive of China, like um, the developing world, developing countries that tend to be small and poor, 
And each of them individually doesn't really have much clout. And those are the countries that support China. So I think that in terms of numbers, they do have numbers, more countries supporting them. I mean, those countries don't really care what's happening in Hong Kong. <laughs> but uh, China asked them to support it, and so they support it. And they would account for a very large number of seats in the UN General Assembly. If anything were ever to be discussed there, China has in its pocket like at least 60, 70 countries that will always vote on its, on its side. And um, in the Security Council, China has a veto itself. So I think China is pretty safe. But China realizes, I think, that it needs a better relations with the countries of the West. And it, it does want a better relations with the countries of the West. At this moment, China has, has bad relations with uh, a lot of countries at the same time, which is a little difficult to understand. Why would China want to take on so many countries at the same time? Uh, you know, from Canada in the north to Australia in the southern hemisphere, and along uh, among its neighbors, the Japan uh, and the, the uh, South China Sea area, all these countries that have maritime uh, disputes with China. Uh, but China seems to be choosing to uh, stand firm against all of them at the same time, rather than uh, deal with them one by one. No, I think we need, we need to uh, give the new law a little time uh, to mature. We need to see what actually happens, what the Chinese government does, what the Hong Kong government does, and uh, what the people uh, of Hong Kong do, uh, and, and then see if, if Hong Kong can absorb this new law and move on. And a lot of people are saying that Hong Kong has overcome all kinds of obstacles in the past, and this is something that Hong Kong can overcome as well. So I think we ought to wait and see. That is Frank Ching. He's a senior journalist, writer, and a professor at Chinese University of Hong Kong. Next up, our news quiz. <laughs> The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Are you ready for the Taiwan News Quiz? This is our lightning round. We have 60 seconds on the clock. And in the hot seat, or should I say the hot couch, we have <laughs> Leslie Dao and Natalie So, You guys ready? No. Not but. really, but it's okay. <laughs> okay, go. All right, Taiwan is now allowing citizens to bring in children who have Chinese nationality. What's the age limit? Two and under. That's right. A fire broke out at a plant on Tuesday, injuring three and burning 2,000 square meters. What kind of a plant was it? Petrochemical. Good. Now, what did Taiwan's post office begin selling on Wednesday? Stimulus coupons. Stimulus coupons, that's right. In a military drill on Wednesday, a Taiwan Navy submarine fired something for the first time in 13 years. What was it? SUT heavy torpedo. Wow. Wow. More specific than I was even going for. (laughs) A live torpedo. What film won the top award at the Taipei Film Festival last weekend? Oh, no. Oh, something attention. 
It is Detention. Oh, it is Detention. Cool. The horror film Detention based on a video game, incidentally. Now, Taiwan is urging citizens to reconsider travel to where? Oof. China? Vietnam? That's right. Okay. China, Hong Kong, Macau, <laughs> due to the new national security law. Uh-huh. And, that's right. That's right. Uh, last week, we told you about a new volcano warning system. Now, scientists have discovered something new near Taipei. What was it? Another volcano? No, nope. there was some something underground. I forgot what that's it was. That's right. Well, <laughs> something underground? <laughs> not what is it, Godzilla? I'm not giving you the point for that. They found a two-kilometer deep volcanic vent. That's where the lava would erupt from if it erupts. Um, I have a bonus question for you. You ready for this? Okay. All right. Finally, video surfaced this week of a food delivery man doing what to a customer's drink? Drinking it? Yes. Drinking it. You're not the food delivery person, are you? Cards on the table, I was going to (laughs) say. I'm not allowed to incriminate myself, but... No, it's amazing. I have to tell you how they found out about this. They actually found video footage of this. And the reason is, is because the delivery man, the drink was inside a bag... He removed the bag and threw it on the ground. And then later, the cleaning person was upset that there was litter in the elevator. So they asked the guard to get the, the video, like the security camera oh. footage. They watched it. And then they saw that the guy actually took a sip of the drink That's before awful. he did it. Now, uh, the guy has been fired. Uh, unfortunately, however, the person who bought the drink finished the drink before they no. <laughs> so there you have it. That's this week's Taiwan News Quiz. And that is Taiwan Today for this week. I am Natalie So. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm, what do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is... John Van Trieste. And the destination... The 1940s. No account of Taiwan's art history could be complete without the story of Guo Xuehu a painter whose career spanned a century. Born in 1908 and largely self-taught, Guo could do it all, from sparse Chinese ink painting to dense, intricate scenes done in an eclectic mix of styles. His early works capture an entire period of Taiwanese history, the period of his youth, when Taiwan was a colony ruled from Japan. Some of his artworks have even become a sort of visual shorthand, used to conjure this period up. 
Last week, we looked at this iconic early work with Lin Yuchun, a former curator at the Taipei Fine Arts Museum, as our guide. But Guo Xuehu outlived the 50-year period of Japanese rule by far. In fact, he lived to be 103. This week, with Ms. Lin as our guide once again, we're going to move on from the Japanese period to see what this giant of Taiwanese art did next. The final years of the Japanese period continued to be busy ones for Guo Xuehu. He continued creating works, both Chinese ink paintings and pieces in his own dense and intensely detailed style. He exhibited, joined art societies, and got married. The times were changing, though. By the end of the 1930s, Japan was at war with China, a conflict that would later grow into the Pacific theater of World War II. At the war's end, in 1945, Japan handed over Taiwan to the Republic of China government. At first, things seemed to have continued as they had been. In 1946, Guo helped organize a Taiwan-wide art exhibition, which went smoothly. But in Taiwan, things were not going smoothly at all. Resentment against the new government and its policies built up among many in Taiwan. In 1947, this sentiment erupted in what became known as the 228 Incident. Artists and intellectuals were among those killed in the government's violent crackdown. Then in 1949, the turmoil continued. The government had lost the Chinese Civil War, and it was forced to retreat from mainland China, leaving it with only Taiwan and a few other islands. The government declared martial law, which would remain in place until the 1980s. It was around this time that Guo Xuehu began to travel and to produce some works in a simpler style. Alongside studies of scenery in Taiwan, he begins to paint subjects like a cathedral in the Philippines and stone ruins in Thailand. He also went to Japan to visit an old mentor from the colonial period. I ask Ms. Lin if this travel and these occasional sketches of foreign lands had to do with the tense political climate at the time back in Taiwan. Ms. Lin says she thinks so. The period called the White Terror, which followed the 228 incident, was a risky time to be around, with tight restrictions on freedom and the potential for small missteps to lead to big trouble. She says that many who could leave Taiwan did, especially those dissatisfied with restrictions on thought and expression. Artists, she adds, are easily dissatisfied. Ms. Lin says that during the 1950s, travel abroad wasn't always easy for Taiwanese people, and so Guo Xuehu was lucky. He had connections and got invitations to artistic events overseas, allowing him to move around. It helped, too, that some of his children went to study abroad. Ms. Lin says some of Guo's works on foreign themes are popular among collectors. They're highly decorative, painted with vibrant colors, and done in a memorable style. However, she says she doesn't feel that these works are among his greatest. 
She says the amount of time he spent in places like Thailand was never long enough for him to imbibe the local culture, and this means the works he painted there don't have the same level of cultural depth he used to paint Taiwan. She compares these works to quick sketches or postcards done by a traveler. In 1964, Guo Xuehu moved to Japan. Then, from 1971 onwards, the United States became his home and his family's home as well. Whatever art experts have to say about his works done abroad, his 1968 view of Mount Fuji from the coast, his paintings of snowy villages near Pittsburgh, and his 1984 view of the moon over the Grand Canyon are among my favorite works of his. From snow to desert hues to the jungles of Southeast Asia, Guo was never hesitant to blend cultures or explore beyond what Taiwan had to offer. While living abroad, Guo also had an unusual opportunity for someone from Taiwan at the time. He went to mainland China and painted what he saw there. This was in the 1970s, in the final years of the Cultural Revolution. For anyone else, this would have been a problem, but Ms. Lin says that Guo was able to go because one of his children worked with the UN, and when he next visited Taiwan, the political environment had become more forgiving of those who'd crossed the Taiwan Strait. Though living abroad, Guo was not a stranger to Taiwanese art circles. Ms. Lin says he would come back to visit now and then, and she says his children would also carry works back to Taiwan so they could be put on exhibit. In 1987, Taiwan's era of martial law came to an end, and democracy followed. But Guo Xuehu did not return to Taiwan. It was clear that he thought about Taiwan. Among his paintings of Yosemite, Southern China, and the American Southwest are works like Taiwan Orchids, a study of flowers done in 1978. Ms. Lin says he may have stayed where he was because of his age, though he continued to travel for a long time after. By the time he settled in the U.S., he was already reaching his seventies. For Ms. Lin, Guo's later works touching on Taiwan are of great interest because one of her focuses has always been on the connection between artist and place. The connections she sees aren't always obvious to the casual viewer. For instance, in 1987, the year martial law ended on Taiwan, Guo painted San Francisco landscape, a series of four paintings showing Northern California in spring and in fall. It seems straightforward enough, but in this series of paintings, Ms. Lin sees hints of a different scene: echoes of Mount Guanyin along the Danshui River. It's in a spot outside of Taipei that Guo would have been familiar with. Guo Xuehu passed away peacefully in 2012 at his home in San Francisco. As we have seen. 
Though he was never restricted to Taiwanese themes, Taiwan, the place he'd come from, continued to be important in his work until the end. In different lights and different seasons, in scenes of daily life and in scenes of nature, Guo Xuehu had spent a lifetime putting Taiwan on canvas. 103 years of life filled with critical acclaim is more than most of us can hope for. But what do art experts have to say about his historical significance? I put this question to Ms. Lin. On this, she has several thoughts. This was an artist who put Taiwan and its art on the map. Over his long life, he recorded Taiwan's nature and its cultures, and through his travels around the world, put them in a global spotlight. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. In today's Taiwan Explain, I'm going to tell you who can and cannot come to Taiwan at this time. All right, it's a very complex question, isn't it? It is, and it's changing all the time as well. Absolutely. Maybe it's easiest to start off with who can come to Taiwan for sure. All right, so every Taiwan citizen and person with an ARC, an alien resident certificate, can enter Taiwan. So citizens and legal residents can come at any time. So who is not allowed to come to Taiwan? Well, foreigners who want to just come for tourism or social visits. But foreigners can apply to come for other reasons, such as business, school, contractual obligations, family emergencies, and more. But there's a caveat. All visitors must test negative for COVID-19 within three days before arrival. Now, special rules apply to those from Hong Kong, Macau, and mainland China, and we'll have the links to those below. Also, one more thing to remember, everyone is subject to home quarantine after they arrive. All right. So now the people that I know who have done home quarantine have done it for 14 days. But I hear that they're shortening it for some people, right? So if you're a business traveler and you come from a low to mid-risk country and you're staying for less than three months, you can apply. But there are some conditions such as you have to have a negative COVID-19 test um, three days before you arrive. Also, you have to pay for your own test. Like you can apply for five day or seven day. So you have to play Pay for the test on the fifth day to make sure that you're okay. This should be uh, virus-free. Okay. Even though they're in a short of quarantine. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Taiwan, 
have a question or comment about one of our programs at RTI, send us a letter at PO Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. Or email us at english at rti.org.tw. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.